Hello there. My name is Jenny Vasquez Newsom, and I am the guest host of season two of Mission Megaphone, a podcast production of Growth Network Podcasts. In this season of Mission Megaphone, we are amplifying the overlooked leadership experiences and expertise of leaders of color. These conversations will challenge traditional definitions of leadership, disrupting the status quo by centering the skill, ingenuity, and capabilities of impactful BIPOC identifying leaders from across industries. My guest today is Kareem Canty, workplace well-being and life design expert, founder of The Life Is Project, and former chief operating officer and marketing executive. Welcome, Kareem. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm so excited to just be in conversation with you and just kind of talking life, leadership, your career, everything, and would love to just start broadly. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about what you do now and knowing that what you do is much bigger than just what you do for a job. Currently, I'm a life and business catalyst coach and consultant. And what I really focus on is helping visionary leaders and inclusive businesses really rethink work to create healthy cultures where both the businesses and the people who power those businesses really do thrive. And I also work with individuals on their own life design so we can all start living extraordinary lives and stop putting our lives off to some future retirement time when we're supposed to then be able to enjoy life and really fully embrace the life that we're living right now. That resonates so much. We always are planning for the ideal moment where we can take the vacation or spend time with our family or you know, all these factors that have to be in play. And it's always in the future and we're missing out on the now. Yeah, you've kind of had a, a trajectory into this work that you do now, kind of creating and designing life and supporting others that are designing their own lives, either in the workplace or beyond. Tell me a little bit more about your origin story. How did this all begin? So there's probably two pivotal points that really kind of have set me on this path and in my journey. And my first was in college. Uh, my first internship I took was at a Black-owned radio station. It was at a time when most of the radio stations had been taken over by, you know, big corporate media entities. Uh, but this was my first professional kind of experience with the owner. It was the owner's name. She was Miss D, as we called her. Um, she took me under her wing. Her and the program director, Brant Johnson, were my first experience with mentors. Um, so I was very fortunate to come into my professional experience in a place that was owned by people of color. I started out as an intern. I quickly got promoted to news director and then morning show host and producer. And that really kind of launched off my career and really showed me and laid the groundwork for who I wanted to be in my career when I was able to help people. So I'm very grateful for that first experience. But then as I transitioned into the world of advertising and advertising agencies, I learned that corporate America wasn't like that. <laughs> but I was very fortunate to have that as an entry into my professional career. And there was a point where um, even though I did my job very well and I rose quickly, um, it wasn't that easy. I didn't have that much support. There were no mentors. There were very few people that looked like me, let alone my peers, but none at the top. Um, but I did get an opportunity to take on a new account, which happened to be Walmart. Uh, it grew to be one of the biggest accounts in the agency which meant I had a very big team underneath me. So that's where my leadership journey started. And I very quickly realized that I cared more about how work was affecting my team and my client. And so my job was like, how can I make this work better? Because I learned if work's better, 
then life is better. And if life is better, everybody wins. Like there's actually more productivity. There's actually more well-being. And that kind of started my journey to my style of leadership in really focusing on life first. And then mm -hmm. work kind of takes care of itself. So those are really kind of the, the pivotal moments, I think, across all of the great experiences I've had over my career that, that made me the leader of who I am. Yeah, I love that. First being the impact that those foundational experiences have for us as we're kind of navigating professionalism, life, you know, the work, and, and then how you can take those foundations and then translate them into the, the moments that you are called to leadership in, the, in big macro ways. We'd love to hear a little bit more of like, you know, you've, you've talked a little bit about what has informed your leadership, but how, how would you define leadership? If you were to think, you know, for yourself, how do you define it? Yeah, well, I, I really look at leadership um, as being heart-centered and life-centered. I know that in the world that we've come up in, a lot of people have the idea that leadership is being the one in control or telling people what to do. But it's really having the ability to understand the needs of your people and your clients and being able to serve them and help meet those needs with the tool belt that you've built. I think one of the fallacies is that to be a leader, you have to manage people. I think being a people manager is a certain type of leader, but everyone can lead from where they are. And I don't agree with the fact that our society has made it so the only way in a lot of organizations you can feel like you move up, you get promoted, you can grow in your career is if you step away from being an individual contributor or a producer into being a people manager, which is something that has a very unique set of skills. You have to want to do it. Um, and, and most people aren't just built to do that. Like there's plenty of really amazing people leaders out there. And there's a lot of people who are kind of forced into those roles only because that's the only route that they were ever given. And then you have this epidemic, as I would call it, in corporate America, where a lot of people leave their jobs because of their managers, who probably would rather be doing something where they're leaning into their strengths and contributing and influencing the organization in a way that's way more aligned with what they do, but still getting the recognition, the influence, the title, and the pay. I always think about how we limit our definitions of leadership to those just upper echelons of positions that we, we miss out on so much if we just leave it to being a people manager, being someone that kind of takes on the management of teams and then that's where leadership sits. Then where, where else, it just disappears everywhere else. And that um, I think is, you know, a limitation. Like we, we just haven't understood the, the depths of that leadership. So I appreciate you calling that out. Thinking about kind of your own experiences having been a people manager, how have you cultivated the leadership of others on your teams or just kind of in those spaces, mm -hmm. knowing that leadership can show up in a lot of different ways? What are some ways that you do that? Yeah, so the one thing I do is really get to know people for who they are. I think we are taught that you have to be a certain persona or show up a certain way when you get to work. A lot of people put on a work persona or they're trying to figure out who they need to be to be successful. And so whenever I'm having a conversation with someone, whether they're my direct report, whether I'm building a leader or it's just anyone in the organization that comes to me and says, Crane, how do I, how do I climb the ladder here? How do I get the title? How do I get the salary? Those are usually the questions they ask. The first thing I say is, well, let's put the company to the side and I want to know how you want to live your life and what's important to you and how do you want to spend your days. And a lot of people don't know. A lot of people are so stuck on what society told them 
life is supposed to look like, what success looks like, that they've been chasing this thing they've been told. And so I've, I have a lot of exercises I give people to say, well, go, go do a little bit of self-discovery and then come back to me. And then let's figure out how this can be a mutually beneficial relationship because you should be able to have this company take a part in building your ideal life just as much as we want you to take a part in building this ideal company. It's, it's a two-way street. Um, and I think a lot of organizations right now are waking up to the fact that people are waking up to this and it's no longer we're at the mercy of having this job and we're so lucky to have the job that will do anything that they tell us to do um, to feel secure and stable. Companies actually need the people to power them. And so I really focus on, okay, let's understand what's gonna make you live better and let's figure out if it's a match. And sometimes it's not. And if it's not, then let me help you figure out how to get there. And it's not something where, um, oh, well, sorry, we're just, we're just done as some organizations go, but it's like, no, let me use my resources and my network. Let me help you build the skills. Let me make sure that what you do while you're here is adding to your tool belt in a way that you're going down the path of what you really desire in your life. Wow. I hear a, a lot of that well-being and life design expertise just in, in that reflection because it's moving away from kind of the pressure to always look to what's next, what's, you know, the the upward move. And and those are, you know, valiant goals and whatnot. But we I think we miss out a lot on like the here and now and how can we mm -hmm. make work work for us in this moment and, and design that life in a way that allows for our leadership to thrive today versus waiting for XYZ position. So uh, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that because uh, I think that's something that really resonates in thinking about how we can lead from this moment right now, no matter where we are, no matter what position, no matter where our goals are, but really, you know, not missing the moment here to really have that impact that we want to have the life that we want to have, it's possible. So I'd love to hear, you know, given our traditional leadership frameworks, the way that we've kind of thought about leadership in these past few centuries of like very top down, very control and command, just kind of, you know, those those aspects that uh, center leadership with authority, essentially. Given your approach that is different, that like kind of expands beyond that, what have you experienced in your career that has promoted that leadership that you've had space to kind of lead in that way? And if there have been experiences that have in inhibited that expression of leadership, that cultivation of others' leadership, what, what have been those scenarios as well, if, if you have any? The parts that have been the most challenging is when you're in organizations and, you know, as humans, we don't like change. And if you think about what the top of these organizations mostly look like and traditionally look like, it's, it's white male cis men. And by nature as humans, we are attracted to and navigate towards what is like us because mm -hmm. we're familiar with it, we feel like we know, and especially in, in a world like ours where you want to be seen as knowing and being knowledgeable. And if, you're, if, you're, if you don't know, you're uncertain or it's not familiar to you, then it's uncomfortable territory. Yeah. And so once you understand and kind of look at it through that lens, it then becomes how do you navigate these ladders in these rooms that don't look like you, knowing mm -hmm. that it's harder and knowing that people get uncomfortable and they feel threatened just because it's different and starting to really 
show organizations and leaders that the beauty of thought diversity is what creates innovation. If everybody who's at the decision-making table looks the same, thinks kind of similar, has similar backgrounds, there's not gonna be much innovation coming out of that room. And if there's not much innovation in the quick, fast-paced world we live in now, where technology is continually evolving, how we do things is continually evolving, the one thing that hasn't evolved quickly is how we do work. And the people who are going to help make that evolution possible are the people that usually don't have the voice in the room. Mm. And it's the people who are closest to the work because once you get into kind of those executive leadership levels, you don't realize how far removed you are from the work. Yet you think you have to have all the answers and you think you have to know everything instead of listening to the people who are doing that work day to day, who are closest to the customers, who probably have all of the innovation ideas that you need, but they haven't been given a place for their voice to be heard or to explore these ideas or even the time to, to get them out of themselves because work is so busy and speed is like the badge of honor and working 80 hours a week is a badge of honor. And we came up with this system where it's like, oh, I'll sleep when I die, not realizing that if you don't sleep, that that's coming quicker than you think. So really figuring out how to navigate those rooms and I've actually been able to do that through a different type of tool, um, which is improv. I've been a professional improviser for a long time. And the skills that I've learned through improv have helped me navigate rooms that where people like me don't usually get to be in and navigate those tables and understand how to work in those environments and turn them from environments where people really tend to react offensively to ideas and learn to respond inclusively. You said so much there that I want to unpack. And, and so I am going to make that connection between improv and almost this, you know, real time navigation of maybe a tenuous environment um, for, for you or from your experience. What is it that is required maybe often of leaders of color or folks with kind of marginalized perspective, not, not really represented in those boardrooms? What is required to navigate that, that improv helps you cultivate? What would you say? So when you think about walking into an environment where you quickly have to kind of understand what world is there and how to add and build to it uh, in, in, in a great way is one of the main things that improv has helped me build to do. And it's interesting because when I talk to most adults about improv and anybody who's worked in an organization that I've led or has participated in any of the workshops that I do with other organizations, you hear adults say, oh, that's so scary. I could never do improv. I, I don't know how you do it. And my response is always, you probably did it till you were like eight or nine. Because if you look at children, it doesn't matter how different they are, what you look like. You put a bunch of children in a room, they're going to instantly create a world, figure out how they want to play together. Everyone's going to figure out what character they play. If someone says, oh, you know, the sky's made out of cotton candy, they're going to be like, yes, and, and they're going to add their ideas. And that's not what happens in corporate America. Even, even if we think people are agreeing with us, how many often do we hear, yes, but, because we have been conditioned to, as soon as we get our idea, we stop listening, and we're just waiting to get our idea on the table, where improv teaches you to first Let's accept and embrace that idea and see how we can add and build to it before we negate it. Whether you agree with it or not, there's probably something you can come up with to add to this idea or build it or find a way to, you know, make it creative or make it better. And so improv 
its main rule is yes and. And so that yes and living is what really helps you to figure out how do I walk into this situation? How do I understand what's going on? And how do I make it better? And once you kind of master that, another kind of unwritten rule in improv is if then. So if this exists in this world, say we're on stage and the world is made up of purple water, what else would exist in a world where the water's purple? It's the same as if you walk into a meeting or an organization and you look around and you say, okay, if, if this, this is what exists in this world, what else exists in this world? And what should exist in this world? And so you start to be able to have that as a habit and how you think, which helps to build more healthier cultures, which helps to build better teamwork and collaboration and helps you to just recognize the thought diversity uh, amongst everyone at the table, whether you look alike or not, we all come from different experiences and using improv as a tool, especially within organizations, it creates a safe container because we're just playing games. We're just using things that have no weight, but you get to see that thought diversity and you get to have these beautiful aha moments of recognizing each other and how we think differently and how we all contribute differently and then recognizing how that can then be applied to work. You're going to have me signing up for an improv class. It's, it's, I'm one of those people that's like, like so afraid of that idea, but you're so right. It's like this exercise of on the fly contributing in a space that it's not maybe riddled with judgment or just it's, it's really about building a reality. And I just think about how often that is not the case. You're right in professional environments. You know, anytime I contribute something, I've like gone through all the ways I need to be sure I'm saying something that has me look knowledgeable, credible, you know, um, with the right tone, all these aspects that then start to kind of eat away at the just natural thought that maybe was the innovative idea that could contribute to the rest of the innovative ideas that are being discussed. I love that. Thank you for, for sharing that. That's so, you know, unique. I, th I just love those, those aspects of considering leadership, considering our leadership work in, in other ways that are different than just kind of traditional approaches to leadership, that there's other ways to think about this. Yeah. And somewhere along the line, we, we got this idea that work can't be fun, that it's hard and it's a grind and leadership is very serious and work is very serious. And it's like work, 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 then you go have fun, but work can be fun. And that fun can be very productive and learning how to weave that in and creating that space actually makes for better work. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. I want to come back to you another question that was kind of sparked from what you were previously saying. And considering that we've made minimal progress on representation in those top positions and those top mm -hmm. roles, you know, across all types of organizations, um, not just the Fortune 500, where we don't see a lot of leaders of color, we don't see as many women, and probably a lot of other marginalized identities as well. The business case has been kind of made that diversity of thought is good for business. It's good for innovation. It's good for all the culture, all the things. From your perspective, like what what is the the tension point that that maybe is keeping us in this space of disparity at in those top positions? Yeah. So I think it goes back to a little bit of where I was going with just our human nature. Um, and so one of the things I work with when I'm coaching leaders a lot is that leadership starts with self. So we can look at all of the numbers and rationalize it and see the reports, 
But when you're sitting in that room and you have to make a decision and you haven't done any self-work or you haven't recognized your unconscious bias or you haven't unpacked all of the conditioning we've all had, no matter what you look like or where you come from or what your situation is, then you're going to keep navigating to what's comfortable for you. And I think there's a lot of leaders who even will hire, hire the agencies and hire the help and say, go fix my team. And they're not starting with themselves and they're not starting to unpack and they're not starting to do the self work to really see where they're keeping this perpetual idealism moving forward. Because sometimes it's hard to realize like, oh, it's me. Oh, it's, mm -hmm. I'm the one that has to do the work and change. I thought my job was to make sure everyone else did the work, but really I have to do the work. And so I think that that self-discovery and even recognizing like many people just did the same thing we all did. You're told to, to go down this path and you go down this path and you're there and you've reached it, but a lot of leaders aren't happy themselves and they're pretty mm. miserable with work. And then they mm. are trying to have everyone else fix why everyone else is complaining and you're getting all the things and how do I fix work? Well, if you're not happy at work, then let's examine that. Let's start there and let's see what the root of that is. And then let's mm. figure out how do we get past that and how do we get comfortable with the uncomfortableness that it takes to be able to welcome different opinions, to be able to explore things that might challenge your beliefs or the conditioning that you were raised with to learn that those are gifts and to dig in with everyone who is sitting around that table and making it a safe space for feedback because that's one of the big mm -hmm. things that prevents prevents change is feedback doesn't feel safe. So a lot of leaders think they're doing better than they are. A lot of organizations think they're doing better than they are because people are threatened by what would happen if they really gave their real feedback. So how do we get that truth? And then how do we change the way that we work in a way that actually fosters well-being for everyone? Because that's what increases mm -hmm. the ROI. One of the things I work with organizations on a lot is to recognize that the real ROI or return on investment is ROB, which is a return on being. How do we get mm. back to having people feel okay being in this organization, which is heavily related to belonging, um, which is, I think, one of the things that that's talked about, but not actually factors into the equation a lot um, with the spotlight on DEI. And once you recognize that and you understand that if the people in your organization are well, then your business as well. But if they're not, your business isn't, no matter what the numbers are telling you. And you're not even beginning to tap into the potential of what your business could be if your people aren't able to tap into their highest potential. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, thank you for that answer. Um, I wanna ask almost explicitly, we've talked a lot about this, you know, kind of unpacking leadership in a lot of different ways, but you know, with thinking of a lot of the rhetoric around leadership in present day, like now, you know, mm -hmm. things have shifted and, and in conversations towards authentic leadership or other ways of thinking about leadership that are, are a bit different than, say, the 19th century or, you know, where we started. But what are some of the like common misconceptions of leadership, even in today's rhetoric that you see? What kind of still remains um, for you or if there are new ideas that are coming out that 
not really getting behind. What would you say? I think one of the big ones is the misconception that as the leader, you have to have all the answers. And I think sometimes uh, we get in these situations where work isn't working because we're afraid to admit we don't know. And we're afraid to show up as the as not having the answers because then we'll feel like people will think we're incompetent instead of recognizing that the answers lie within getting the voice of your people and that you're not there to know all the answers. You're there to be of service and to help with the vision and to help to guide and help to shape and help to create the environments and the processes and the spaces for everyone to show up and do their best work. And that's where the answers come. And too many times leaders put it on themselves to come up with the answers. And so they come up with them <laughs> instead of listening to yeah. their people and listening to the organization or are admitting like, I don't know, let's do this together. I, I haven't experienced this before, um, or maybe I have, and this isn't my strength, but I know whose strength it is and let me pull them into the conversation. Um, I think that's one of the things I've seen it show yeah. up in a lot of different ways. But the root of it, I really think, is this idea of I'm going to be judged if I'm not perfect. I'm going to be judged if I don't have all the answers. Uh, I, I might lose my job or not be able to support my family anymore in all the places our human brain goes. If we think that we're not living up to whatever standard we've been conditioned to think is what it means to be a leader. I like to kind of dig into the complexities of the, like realities and, and these ideas, I wonder what your thoughts are if you are a leader that is in a position of authority, you've been kind of in the boardroom, but you're one of the first or only that are representing, you know, we are often representing these broad groups, even though uh, we might not need to. But in those spaces, um, you know, you sometimes feel like the representative of, of folks that are, have been trying to access these rooms. And then I, I see a tension point that goes against like having the, those moments of saying, I don't know, like they're, you know, that, that reality, I completely agree that no one person has all the answers and we need to let that, that go. But what are your thoughts on like that potential tension or dissolving that tension that you are kind of representing a group um, and you have access to, you know, these powerful decision makers are just at the room at the table and you're looked to to have all the answers um, because that's just our expectation of leadership. Um, that's always been the case. How do you navigate that as, as someone that, you know, is leading differently, is leading more authentically, is leading, I think, more impactfully because we're naming that you don't know everything. How do you name the realities? Yeah. And this is interesting because I was having a conversation um, with one of the, the members of my improv team who was also a marketing executive and um, stepped away from corporate around the same time that I did. And we both had this conversation of almost this guilt of mm -hmm. exiting a top C-suite role at an organization as a person of color, because number one, you're, you're feeling like you're carrying the weight. You've opened the door, don't walk away because you're probably gonna be replaced with the norm instead of all of the blood, sweat and tears that got you in that seat. And because of the work that we do, um, because we actually do the, the improv workshops together and we're working on changing leaders because I think that's where you make the biggest impact at work. We realized we can have a bigger impact working with a lot of organizations in helping change it from top down than just being that one person in the room, but recognizing the weight of that. And then how do we also help 
leaders of color and leaders who are different or marginalized or disabilities or are, are the one or the only or the few in the room, how do we create safe spaces where we can have those conversations and we can, you know, lean on each other and, and have that shared understanding and develop solutions together? And how do we help those other leaders who that's not even a thought in their mind recognize the reality of that and recognize how it is impacting the bottom line when you don't have this. It is impacting, like, let's really show them how it impacts the bottom line because I don't think a lot of organizations recognize it until it actually happens. And then they realize like, oh, <laughs> okay, now I see the power in having different thought diversity and the power in, of having the people at the table representing even when you're in a lot of these organizations that are targeting audiences, but nobody at the table is a member of it. I've, I've written a lot of articles about that growing up in marketing and advertising of there's so many public examples of how that can fail. And so many brands have had to pay the price for it. And you can use that as a case study for what happens in all types of organizations every day and how that's really hindering their bottom line. And I mean, it's, let's just be real, it's, it's hard. It's, it's hard being that person in the room. And there's so much weight that nobody else realizes you carry because you do feel like I need to be, I need to be a ladder in a good sense of mm -hmm. keeping a path open for people to be here. And how do I make the right decisions? Because it's not just about me where other people get to just have it be about them. And they don't have that extra weight as they're making career decisions. And that's a real thing that we face every day. Thank you for, for naming that explicitly, because I think that's something that a little bit of the, the work I'm doing with Untapped Leadership in the book is kind of this an invisible load that has to be carried that no one, you know, we don't, we don't talk about enough. Um, it's just kind of inherent and, and we, you know, operate and, and still make career decisions and big decisions and choices, but that, that doesn't mean the load is not there um, as we're moving and that, that really resonated that if, you know there's folks that can make decisions that are only kind of thinking about themselves like their own careers and it's pretty powerful to, to think about that comparison thinking about the leaders that inspire you like who who do you look to or who have you looked to uh for leadership that or that has informed your leadership knowing that again we just really broadly defining what a leader is who who inspires you I listened to a talk from Carla Harris, and she's a senior client advisor at Morgan Stanley. Many people have heard her talks or read her books or listened to her albums. She's a, she's a very multifaceted woman. But it just reminded me of what it means to, to show up and lead in a way where you are and have been for a very long time one of the only or the few or the first in, an, in not only in a room, but in an industry where there weren't any people who looked like you. One of the things she said on the talk this week is, you know, when she started in, in the financial industry back in the 80s, when she, she left college, she could count on her hands. She knew the name of every woman and then every person of color on Wall Street, all of them. And the one, the one thing that makes her feel good is that though our progress is not anywhere near where it needs to be, she can't name them all anymore. And so that, so like that's a, that's a big progress. But just watching the impact in how she showed up as her whole self during this journey unapologetically, and the inspiration that I saw everyone else receive from that, I'm, I was like, that's that's what it means to be a leader. And when I speak 
to what that looks like even in within the industry that I grew up in, in marketing advertising. The person that I think most publicly who does does something similar to this is Boz St. John, who's the you know the current uh, CMO of Netflix, but you know, it's it's beautiful to see a black woman show up unapologetically herself, unapologetically black, unapologetically this is me and I know what I'm doing and I'm great at it and getting to get in the seats that she belongs in and she deserves to be in. Um, and having that example for others who are starting their careers and coming up in the industry and seeing what's possible. And it's a little sad that you have to find examples of what's possible for people who, who look like us, but it's a beautiful thing that we have that now and that we're working towards it just becoming the norm. Yeah, I agree. Your reflections on the leaders that you are looking to, like Carla Harris and Boz. I wonder also the impact of leading in collectives and your experiences, because you and I are both part of Chief, which is the executive network for women. I think that's where Carla uh, came to speak. And then Rachel Rogers, We Should All Be Millionaires, and kind of these spaces that are specific to supporting those that have been traditionally marginalized, either by gender or by race, whatever that may be, um, but creating these spaces that are for us to gather, to you know, collect our resources as leaders um, and navigate our careers. What have those like spaces like that been for you in your career? What do you gain from them? What do you give to them? How has that informed your leadership? I think early on in my career, I wish there were more spaces that I was able to be a part of. And because once I joined Chief, and I also am a member of Hello7, the Rachel Rogers community, I realized that once we kind of get into an industry or get into our roles or our, our climbing the corporate ladder, so to speak, our network usually only revolves around the company we work for and those clients. And though over my 20 year marketing, advertising, media career, I have a very large network. But once I joined communities where we could feel like we belonged and we could tell the truth and we could fully express ourselves, my network has grown exponentially. The thought leadership in my own life, my inner circle has grown exponentially. I talk to women on the other side of the world on a regular basis uh, every week. Just people I would have never been able to bump into in the office or at an uh, advertising networking event. It just opens up your world so much. Mm -hmm. But I think the biggest piece is the belonging. And I know that there are lots of times these spaces get challenged saying, it's counterproductive that it's, it's its own form of discrimination or its own form of exclusion. But when you get a group of people together who have never felt like they belonged right. and you've always felt like you belonged, that's not something that you can understand. And it's something where all of the beautiful ideas, innovation and creation that has been trapped inside of people who haven't been able to use their voice finally starts to get to come out. And you finally start to feel seen and heard and you can step into your own and you just reach a higher level of experiencing what it's like to be in your own skin. And we need more of that in the world. And we need more of that in all of our businesses. And that's why I think having these types of containers are so important. Yeah, I echo that. I think we can experience so much isolation in our roles, workplace, even in diverse workplaces and, and whatnot. Uh, just again, given just the realities of how we do work, 
we have all the answers, quote unquote, we have to solve our own problems. And yet when spaces of diverse thought, collective leadership open up, um, it just shifts the whole the whole calculus shift, shifts um, and we don't realize that we haven't <laughs> haven't had those opportunities until we we do. So, yeah, I think the collective leadership spaces have, have done a lot for me as well. So I was interested to hear your your reflections on that. My last question, thinking about this whole idea of untapped leadership of like we're missing out on on so much that we can give uh, all of us, I think, honestly, just given the way we limit definitions of leadership. But when you kind of think about untapped leadership, what are one or two things that, you know, someone listening to this can do or should do to either uncover their own untapped leadership, uh, really kind of expose that, or cultivate the untapped potential, untapped leadership of others around them? What would you say? Well, I, I go back to the first thing is leadership starts with self. And if you haven't examined yourself and you haven't done any real self-discovery lately, that's where I think most leaders should start. And that's not something you can do by yourself. Uh, one of my favorite ways to kind of help people understand this, and I'm guilty of being the person, you know, years ago saying, I'm going to fix myself and reading all the self-help books and doing all the things and learning and all of that. It took me a long time before I ever got a coach or a therapist or any external support, especially in our community, we're taught like, no, you were strong, strong black women, you can do it yourself, you gotta be independent, you gotta do all these things. But uh, one, of my, one of my coaches once said, you know, you can't see your own face. Like it's, as a human, we can't see our own face, we need mirrors. And so no matter how hard we try, and we created mirrors to see our own face, like if we didn't have mirrors, we wouldn't know what we looked like. And so you need mirrors and you need people to help you on that journey of self-reflection and to give you tools to be able to help you peel back and discover the things that you can't see about yourself so that you can create that awareness. And once you create that awareness, then they can help you figure out how to tackle and change and build the life you want to live. So you show up in the world and then become a catalyst for fully lived lives for others. Um, that's one of the things I really focus on with leaders is not only how do you start with yourself and start with like, what life do you want to live? How do you, how do you want to spend your days? Then how can you really be a catalyst as a leader, as opposed to being oppressive as a leader in terms to people fully living their lives? And then once you're able to do that, you're going to start recognizing how the impact of having that thought diversity and all of the different problems and challenges we have as humans in this world mm -hmm. to create a better living environment for us all instead of continuing to damage it or make it worse mm -hmm. for us, that it's going to take all of this thought diversity. And we need everyone's best selves and best minds and best ideas, but you cannot be creative in a space of stress that part of your brain shuts off. So how do we create these, these cultures of well-being and incorporate play and rest and all of the things that allow us to turn on our creative brain and be able to share the ideas that are gonna make the world a better place? I love it. Corrine, what, what's your big ambition for this year? What's on doc for you in this year? What are you looking forward to? What are you contributing to the world? Yeah, well, in my work, I am realizing how important it is to bring my play framework to the forefront. So um, me and one of my improv team members 
are writing a book on a framework that we developed around our journey as people of color climbing the ladder using improv. Um, we already do workshops in help organizations, um, individually going into the organization with this, but it makes such a huge difference that we want to be able to get it out there uh, more in the world. So we are writing a book and we are going to formally launch, launch it in a bigger way. And so that's kind of one of the big big things on, on the docket for this year. So more to come about that very soon. People can find me um, at my website is www.thelifeisproject.com. Or you can send me an email at Corrine, C-O-R-E-A-N at thelifeisproject.com and happy to connect and chat. That is exciting. I am so interested in that. I agree with you that there's a lot of impact. And, and so you and your colleague are the ones to write this. So I'm so excited for, for that yes. to come and looking forward to that. Corrine, thank you so much for being here today, for just kind of talking so candidly and just openly and, and really just sharing so much insight from your own career into navigating and redefining leadership. Um, and I, I hope, you know, there's a lot that folks can take from that and sit with um, and reflect on. And I appreciate the time that you took to, to have this conversation today. Thank you, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Such a great conversation.